on your Tuesday morning now and Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky will be addressing Canada's parliament later this morning, providing an update on the war in Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine have been in talks about de-escalating the situation and uh, look to be continuing those talks today. But to give us more insight on what's happening and, and why Zelensky is addressing Canadian parliament, we're talking this morning to Andrew Rasoulis from the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. He's a fellow at the Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Good morning, once again, Andrew, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome and good morning to you. Why is President Zelensky addressing Canada's parliament? What What is the purpose of that and, and what does he hope to achieve by doing so? Yeah, so he's um, he's done a series of these. He's done uh, addressed the British parliament, addressing the Canadian parliament today and addressing a joint uh, session of the U.S. Congress tomorrow. Um, what this, this is a very much uh, a... a political uh, event. Uh, it's going to be a very emotional event. The British event was very emotional. I've, I've read that the translator, British translator, uh, who was translating from Ukrainian English, choked up during during the talk. Uh, Zelensky is a very powerful speaker. He's become a very, uh, like a great folk hero, if you want, uh, in terms of his resistance. And so uh, he's building support, uh, which, I mean, there's lots of support, but he's reinforcing his support because he's in the middle of a very, very brutal war. Um, and so he will, again, address the issue of no-fly zone. He knows that, that the position of NATO and the president is, and, and our prime minister, therefore, is very clear that a no-fly zone, in effect, means a war between NATO and Ukraine. Uh, and Russia, sorry. Uh, because it would mean NATO aircraft would have to actually fight Russian aircraft and systems, ground-based anti-aircraft systems to establish air supremacy over Ukrainian airspace. That's a major war. And I, and I think people understand that. Uh, and, and Zelensky is really just using it as a lever to push for additional support, uh, which no doubt Canada can, can find some more ways of, of helping, and they will, uh, on the refugee side, on the sanction side, on the you know, hardware side. I mean, that, that will all be forthcoming. But if I could also say that we're also coming to a pivotal point of potentially reaching the beginning of the end game. Uh, and you mentioned in your introduction that peace talks continue to take place, and they are, there's a, another round today by video conference. And these are becoming more and more important as the military situation on the ground in Ukraine has now bogged down. The uh, Russians, essentially Ukrainian defense has prevailed. Russians have made limited uh, incursions in various parts of Ukraine. The strongest incursion has been in the south, where they are trying to establish the land bridge uh, between uh, Russia proper and Crimea. Uh, and that is centered on the Battle of Mariupol, that horrific battle that we were getting a lot of uh, images from. Uh, and that is the, the essence of the Russian military operation right now to secure that land bridge. But clearly, both sides are starting to realize that the war... Has grind, is grinding down to a war of attrition, and that therefore the only way pathway out of this now is some form of negotiated settlement, in the sense that the Russians will not achieve their military aim, which is a complete occupation of Ukraine, and the Ukrainians will not achieve their objective, which is the, the counterattack to dispel all Russian forces from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So neither will happen. So the only thing that can happen is a settlement of some sort based on political compromises. Well, and that makes sense, Andrew, on paper, a settlement, a compromise. 
the one major variable in the uh, you know elephant in the room is uh, Vladimir Putin, who they've been talking about. And I remember it seems like a few weeks ago that uh, analysts in the U.S. were trying to you know gauge his uh, mental acumen and his mental state. So, is, is it possible that somebody like Vladimir Putin would you know agree to any compromise? Well, I mean, uh, so we have to assume rationality uh, because if we don't, if the, if he's an irrational actor. And if he's an irrational actor and the rest of the people around him who must be rational, because you can't have everybody being irrational there, like, like Shoigu, the, 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 the defense minister, he's pivotal in this, and Gerasimov, the chief of uh, staff. These are pivotal players. They're the people who control the military. And uh, they're watching this, too. They see Putin. Uh, whether they assess the thinking that he's irrational or not, I can't judge for that. But there is rationality prevailing in the, the who control the power levers of Ukraine, of, of the Kremlin in, in Russia. So I think they still assume that uh, they will make a rational decision that further military action is not logical. I can't guarantee that. I mean, the U.S. former U.S. Uh, director of the CIA said the opposite. He said that he thinks Putin is frustrated, angry, and will double down. So there is that potential. Of, 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 of the Russians bringing in further, because they have more resources. And there's another round of rec- uh, draft recruits that are coming in on April 1st. So I mean, they have a technical potential to drive on, uh, and their economy appears to be able to sustain some measure of effort. But, you know, what's the, 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 the probability of outcome there is so low for the Russians, the more they, they continue this. Andrew, so I don't know. You know, on yeah. that on that note, what, what are, are your thoughts about you know in their back pocket? What else do they have? Is China something that's sitting in the back pocket of Putin and the Russians? Well, Ch- yes, China playing is playing an extremely important role. But China wants to come out of this as a winner, and basically, they they hold very important cards. They have the potential of being a broker. They are providing uh, limited support for Russia. Uh, there, there is this, uh, you know, there, there is a larger antagonism that we know between the Chinese and uh, the United States. And so the Chinese have their eye on the big picture in terms of their ongoing uh, a rivalry with the United States. So they want to position the outcome of this conflict in such a way that it would enhance China's standing in the world vis-a-vis uh, the United States. So at the end of this conflict, and this conflict will end in one day somehow, uh, we'll end in a kind of a new world order. I don't want to over-dramatize, but we're not going back to where it was in February of this year. There's going to be a new post-war order coming out of this. And so the Chinese are, are really playing that those cards very carefully. The other players, of course, are, are the Turks and the Israelis, uh, who are also trying to play mediator uh, roles to try and negotiate an outcome to this. Um, the other uh, part, part of the puzzle is something that, again, we talked about weeks ago and we continue to see, you know, sanctions and restrictions being piled on the Russian, uh, you know, not just the, the businesses, but essentially the people. Are we starting to see a, an effect, a positive effect? And when I say that, uh, you know, uh, an impact on, on the Russian people themselves when it comes to these sanctions? Well, yeah, we, we saw a, a kind of a dramatic illustration of uh, that Russian uh, employee of the radio of the TV station yesterday who ran across uh, when the anchor news anchor was giving the, the news mm-hmm. and with a sign, no more war. Um, so that's that's something. That's a that's a new development. And she's young. And I, so what I'm trying to I, what I suspect is happening 
the younger generation is being far more affected by this than the older generation. I think the older generation, uh, of which Putin's of that, you know, the, 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 the baby boomers, if you will, uh, who are the early post-war generation, they still uh, believe in a replaying kind of semi-World War II things. And whereas the younger generation, they think of this as being really out of the past. Uh, and they're far more connected, they're far more international, um, and they're savvy. And so uh, the degree to which this is affecting them, uh, it certainly is. But the real question is, what can they do about it? We don't know that yet. We know there's been lots yeah. of uh, these young people leaving Russia. There's been lots of people leaving. Mm-hmm. So the question is, you know, but where, what effect does this have on the power structure in the Kremlin? This is the key. Yeah, we'll continue to watch it and love our conversations. Thank you again so much for joining us. Appreciate your time this morning, Andrew. You're very welcome. Pleasure to do it. Have Thank a great you. day. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.